Hello. Hello, church. How are we? I love you, too. Okay, so um, before I get started, I want to give an announcement to the men specifically. All right, fellas, if you haven't heard, we are having a men's chili cook-off two weeks from today. Sunday, February 6th at 6 p.m. here at the church. What I need you to do... What's that? Did I say something weird? Okay. Oh, oh, not yet. Okay. What I need you to do is come that night, either be a chili eater or a competitive chili maker. Okay? There's a maximum of 10 people who can enter the chili cook-off as a competitor. We already have a couple. And they are psyched. And if you think you have a top-notch chili, I want you to compete. I want to see the eye of the tiger. I, w- I want some trash talk, honestly. I want, to, I want to see some trash talk. You will be competing for title of Chili Dude 2022. And now, now show the, show the trophy. This trophy. Okay? You get to keep that all year long. All right? Put it on your mantle at home. Your wife will love it, or there won't. I don't know, but don't throw it away because you have to return it next year. It's going to be a traveling trophy. Anyway, two weeks from now, February 6th at 6 p.m., we're going to hang out. We're going to eat some chili, have some fun. Okay? Sign up to be a chili eater or a competitive chili maker at the sign-up sheet and on the info center or uh, RSVP on Realm. Okay? Fellas, Okay? And women are not allowed to come and eat the chili. I've been asked that. No, just the guys. Okay. So today, um, yeah, it's, you might know, you might not want to come. There's going to be anyway. Um, today, I want to take some of the ideas that we've been covering in knowing our great in this knowing our greatness core value, and I want to move them out of the realm of like ideas and get them onto the ground. Specifically today, I want to move from just ideas that are nice and plug them into how certain issues play out, play themselves out in our lives, mainly shame. Now I know, I didn't realize this, but the, um, the, the Sunday school, the adult Sunday school covered also shame this week, which I had no idea was going to happen, and it wasn't what I was going to talk about this week either, last week. So, it's supposed to be talked about, I think. So, shame really is the opposite of knowing our greatness. And I believe that, that last week's message where I talked about identity and today's message are very, very linked. Because ultimately, shame is an identity issue. And I'll get more into that, but, but something that studies show over and over is that humans are not very good at understanding what motivates them. What internal forces drive them to think the way they think, act the way they act, or do what they do. And the Bible would, would agree with that, right? The heart is deceitful. But I believe, and I think, a lot of, and a lot of professional counselors would say that shame is one of the sneakiest and maybe the strongest unhealthy motivator in people's lives. Shame will drive you. Sometimes more than you know. So let's start by looking, I think this will be helpful, at the beginning of shame. And we can find it in Genesis 2.25. In the Garden of Eden, we are uh, without sin. The Bible says... 
But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no what? Shame. They felt no shame. So is that, is that interesting to you? That God could have said they felt no fear, they, they, they knew no anger, they felt no loneliness. They, I mean, he could have picked anything out of the plethora of human emotions to put in there. And he puts only one thing in the scripture before the fall. I created you to never know the burden of shame. So if I was the enemy, which I'm not, to be clear, but if I was the enemy and I wanted to take out the only thing created in the image of God, then I would want to make sure I put on them the one thing they were never created to bear the burden of, right? So that they would be rendered ineffective. So they'd be rendered fruitless. Because the enemy is ultimately after your fruitfulness. See, if you're saved, if you're born again, right? If you're sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, the, the enemy is not going to get your soul. But if he can heap shame on you, he will render you ineffective. It's, it's about our fruitfulness. So this says they knew no shame. So just imagine that for a second. Like, what would it be like to not have any secrets, no skeletons, no, no, nothing that we are afraid of somebody else finding out about? The freedom of no, no shame. Then the evil one in the form of the servant came to destroy that innocence and intimacy with God. You know the story. He basically lied to them. Hey, go ahead and eat the fruit that God said not to. They did. They sinned. And with sin entered shame. Verse 7, the Bible says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. All of a sudden, they feel insecure. They cover up. Verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And instead of running up to him, what they do? The Bible says that they did what? They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid. They guarded their secret. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? So here you have a couple with everything kind of vulnerable. There's no sense of embarrassment, nothing to hide. They're enjoying the blessing of, of the beauty of God's creation, and they felt no shame. And then the serpent came, tempted them to disobey God, and sin entered the world. And when they sinned, immediately they felt this deep-seated sense of shame, so much so that they had to cover themselves up. And they went into hiding because they just have a, had this feeling that, what they, that they were, what they did was wrong. Not just what they did was wrong, but they had this identity that now they were bad, they were wrong. And that's why guilt is really different than shame. Guilt is generally action-based but shame is identity-based. So guilt says I did something wrong. And there is godly guilt, right? Because when we do something wrong, the first place we should run is to God. And guilt can motivate us to do that. Guilt says I did something wrong, but shame internalizes it. it says, shame says I am wrong. I am dirty. So it makes you run away from God. This is why knowing your identity is so important. 
This is why we continually have to allow the Holy Spirit to remind us who we are. Because what you did is not who you are. And every one of us, the Bible says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if you don't know who you are and whose image you were created in, and what you're on, earth, what you're on this earth for, you will spend your life feeling like you're not good enough. Feeling like you don't measure up. Feeling like somehow you are deficient. And everything in society is created to echo that message. That you're not enough. That you're not smart enough. That you're not good enough. You're not talented enough. You're not pretty enough. Whatever. The only problem is if you don't know who you are and whose image you're created in, you will constantly be trying to get your significance, your security, your value, your esteem from other people or things. And they were never created to satisfy and then there is the fact that we don't always measure up. We sin and fall short of God's glory. We mess up. If you don't know who you are and whose you are, those things will bring shame into your life. It might be a secret. might be financial debt. might be your sexual past. might be an addiction that you don't want anybody to know about. Or that thing that you did years ago that you hope nobody finds out about. I don't know. Maybe you're a a bachelorette fan, and you carry that burden around with you. It's a joke. It's fine. Greg's a big bachelorette fan, aren't you, Greg? But the way shame works is, because of what you did, your spiritual enemy tries to connect the action of who you are and how you see yourself. And you start to believe, I am defective. I'm damaged. I'm broken. I'm flawed. And without knowing it, we can take something we did or even something that, was, that happened to us and wrongly connect it to our identity and start living in a shame-based thinking. It's the opposite of what we talked about last week. It is finding your identity in the past and your mistakes rather than who you are in Christ in your future. Our spiritual enemy wants nothing more than to take you on a shameful cycle, to take you out, to destroy your relationships with God and with people so that you aren't fruitful. So how does shame influence our lives? Um, there's a number of ways. And as I go through these, just kind of take an internal inventory. See if you see yourself in any of these. And don't elbow your neighbor, all right? Don't give them the old Holy Spirit elbow, all right? Number one. Whenever we live with shame-based thinking, we're vulnerable to perfectionism. So what we often will do is, if, is we'll try to silence our shame with perfect performance. So like, look how good I did, or look how good I look. And we find it really difficult to admit any kind of failure or shortcoming. I want to cover my shame with perfect perf performance. The second way it impacts us is oftentimes relationships don't last. So shame disrupts your self-image, often to the point where you aren't fond of who you are, and you believe that others won't be fond of who you are either. So you separate yourself from people, especially as they get closer. The third way it impacts us is that we're often critical of ourselves, which drives us to become critical of others. It's really tragic, but oftentimes the most critical people around are those dealing with the most shame. Because shame-filled people tend to shame others. You see this at times as people joking harshly at others' expense. It's a defense and an attempt to level the playing field by tearing down others so that you feel better. 
The fourth way it impacts us is this. Shame causes us to use self-defeating thoughts to shield ourselves from disappointment. And so we just tell ourselves, this is bad, and it's going to get really, really bad. And then we lower our expectations so we aren't disappointed. But at the same time, that causes us to sabotage our own efforts at work, in relationships, etc. Because we tell ourselves, well, you know, they're only going to reject me. And so we don't risk the relationship. I'm, just, I'm only going to fail anyway because bad things happen to me, so why try anyway? And we sabotage anything that God wants to do to bless us. There's this story in the Old Testament about God's people who tragically were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. Um, if you could imagine this, 400 years they're, they're in slavery. So you have generation after generation after generation of people who are, who are born a slave. All they know is I'm a slave. I'm worthless. I feel invaluable. My life is worth nothing. 400 years, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, they believe the lie. You're not valuable whatsoever. Then God raises up Moses, played by Charleston Heston, who said, let my people go. And God miraculously delivered his people from slavery. The tragedy is, though they were outwardly free, inwardly they were still slaves. They were out of slavery, but slavery wasn't out of them. Some of you, maybe you're you're followers of Christ, you've been forgiven, you've been freed, but some of you are still slaves to the shame of something that's not true about you. So what do we do about shame? What do we do? How do we get out of this? Or avoid it? Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says this. When you are dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us. What's that word? All. That's important to know. All our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. How does God handle shame in your life and mine? The just judge of the universe bangs the gavel and by the blood of Christ declares us as innocent. If we would just truly and deeply believe that that was true, that all your sins, past, present, and future, were nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ, God's response to sin and shame is, I've canceled the record of debt. There's no sacrifice you can lay on the altar. It's already been paid in full, all of it, past, present, and future. You are free from the shame of that stuff. The gospel message is so much more than just trying to be good and just hang on till the rapture. It is to live free without shame. It is to know who you are and whose you are. You are a child of God. You are so deeply loved and valuable that Jesus gave his life for you. As David Benner said, I read this last week, an identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. You're not keeping secrets from God. You're an open book to him. You are transparent. You are f- and you're still fully known and still deeply loved. Like Nothing drives shame away from the heart more than being fully known and still delighted in. Shame vanishes when you're fully known and still loved. And the reason I'll press hard on confession 
and openness among the people of God is, the quieter you are about your struggles, the quieter you are about the, the fantasies of your mind, the quieter you are about where you fall short of the right ideal, the more fertile the ground is for shame to take root. So the best way to make sure shame doesn't grow is to be fully known. Don't have secrets. They will betray you. They have power over you. I say this all the time. Strange things grow in the dark. Drag that junk into the light and let God and the people of God, the holy priesthood, know you fully and love you. Nothing drives out shame like being fully known and still fully loved and delighted in. Let me show you this in Luke chapter 15. There you have the parable of the prodigal son. And you kind of, I'm sure you know the story. The prodigal son takes his inheritance from the father. And the Bible tells us he goes and squanders it on prostitutes and bar hopping, basically. Um, so the dude's ha- dude has this great week in Vegas. Everything goes wrong. He ends up in, working in a pigsty. Things have broken so down that he's literally crawling through the filth in the pigsty, eating the slop that was meant for the pigs. Then the Bible says he comes to his senses. That's a gift from God, to come to your senses. He begins to think, even my father's servants live better than this. Maybe he'll just let me be a servant. And he crawls out of the muck and the mire, and he begins to head home. Head hung in shame, physically filthy, his heart feeling dirty, just hoping to be a servant to his father. Then look at what happened, starting in verse 20. So he got up, that's out of the pigsty, and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Why don't we think that about God? Why is our default about God that he's angry and disappointed? The way we interact with God is we think God's on the front porch going, look at this idiot. What a disappointment. Yeah, crawl on home. I'll let you be a servant, servant of the servants maybe. It's not just, that's... that's Not what just happened. His father saw him and was filled with compassion. Now look what happens next. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice the father isn't even having that nonsense. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now that drives out shame. I know where you've been. I've known what you've done. He still hugs him, kisses him. He feels compassion in the brokenness the son has experienced. He puts shoes on his feet. A ring, which means you're mine, on his hand. The best robe, he kills a fatted calf. The party gets crazy. The Bible tells us that we could, you could hear the music and dancing from the field. See, the, the parable of the prodigal son isn't about the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son is about a loving father who loved both of his idiot boys. The one who wastes his, his inheritance on prostitutes and bar hopping, and the one that thought he could be good enough by following all the rules and stayed outside the party and pouted. The parable of the prodigal son is about a father's delight 
in his stubborn, foolish children. We have a hard time with people delighting in us. We really do. We so crave it, we have a hard time with it. Here's what I've noticed. Regardless of who the kid is, they almost refuse to look you in the face when you're telling them what you love about them. Have you noticed this? There's something in us that just can't handle it. Can't handle that we might be delighted in, right? This is kind of the residue of shame, of sin, shame, where there should be innocence. In Hebrews 2.11, I love this one. He says, So now Jesus and the one he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed to call his brothers and sisters. What destroys shame? Delight. Being fully loved when we're, and, and when we're fully known. It drives out shame. Shame. Listen, it's hard to believe. I mean, my kids could hardly look us in the face when we would say, you know, I love you. You're awesome. You bring so much joy to this family. How much more then can we not handle a loving God who picks up our filthy head and says, give me the best robe. Give me the best ring. Let me put shoes on his feet. Let's let's kill the fatted calf. Get some good wine. And then celebrates that we're home. That's why we feel awkward in it. It doesn't feel right. That's why grace is so scandalous. Doesn't feel right. That's why the Bible says the love of the Lord is extravagant. It's over the top. It's ridiculous. But that's the thing that drives out shame. Until you get that, shame's going to be a companion. Let's go back to Genesis 3.10. God says, where are you? To Adam and Eve. And this is what Adam replies to God. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Fear, shame, hiding. And for so many people, that's exactly the conversation that you have with God if you ever talk to him. It's full of fear. It's full of shame. It's full of hiding. Maybe some of you just did everything just to kind of show up at church today. And you're here, your body's here. You're in the building, but you're, you're hiding from God in your heart. You've pulled back. And then what I think is the saddest question in the Bible, and I can just imagine God asking Adam this with tears streaming down his face. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you? At what point did you believe the lie? When did you elevate someone's voice above my voice? At what point did you believe that you're too dumb, too stupid, that you never amount to anything? There will always be divorce in a family. I'll never get out of this addiction. Where did you believe that lie? Who told you? At what point in your life did you believe the lie that crippled you and paralyzed you? Kept you beneath the will of God for your life? We cannot let anyone but Jesus give us our identity. The most important thing you can know in the day and age that that we live is not what social media says or what culture says about you or what the magazines say or what anybody else says. So what does Jesus say? 
If you're in Christ, Jesus says that you are a son or a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus says you are chosen and called. Jesus says you're redeemed. Jesus says that you're loved. Jesus says that you're a child of God, created in his image. Jesus says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus says I can do all things through him because he's going to strengthen me. The greatest thing you'll ever know this side of eternity is who you are in him. In Hebrews 12, there's something I've read dozens or hundreds of times, but God really brought this to mind. And I landed on these words. It speaks of Jesus on the cross preparing to give his life. And scripture says this, For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. He endured the cross because of what was coming, right? Because of what would happen in your life. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. And here's these three little words. Despising its shame. Despising it, loathing it, hating it. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is so powerful to me. Jesus endured the cross. And he hated, he despised, he scorned the shame of it. Every fiber of righteousness, every part of heaven and flesh, loathed, hated, scorned, and despised the shame that robs people from intimacy with God and the joy of heaven. God despised the shame that separates him from us and us from him. And in this very same way, God despised the shame that crushes your soul and kills your joy. He despises the shame you feel from your lies or your hidden eating habits or your secret sexual sin. He loathes the shame you feel from your financial failure, from your deepest secrets of your, or, your, or your darkest hurts. He scorns the shame of how you feel when you look at the wrong things. He hates the shame you endure because of what you said, or what you did or didn't do. He despises the shame of your self-doubt or your self-hatred. He scorns the shame of what you felt like back then and how you don't like yourself now. Can I tell you today, you are worthy of love. The cross was for you. The empty tomb was for you. Jesus looked and saw through time and he saw you today, knowing that if he endured the cross for the joy set before him, you could be free. That gave him joy. For the joy of your freedom, your salvation, for your forgiveness, for your wholeness, he endured the shame of the cross. Despising it. So he could tell you, you're not what you did. You're not what you do. You're not what someone did to you. You're not who others say you are. You're not even who you think you are. You are who Christ says you are. And I declare to you today, if you're in him, that he says you are free, you're forgiven, you're changed, you're healed, you're redeemed, you're blessed, you're complete, you're chosen, you're accepted. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have canceled the record of debt. Thank you that right now for those of us who are
children of God, you delight in us. And I pray that as we think about the, the sins of the younger brother, that he wasted the father's inheritance on prostitutes and alcohol, that as wayward as he was, the father felt compassion. And for the self-righteous, that the father was moved to go outside and entreat the older brother to come in. We thank you that you delight in us. For those who are in this place and shame has them shackled, where self-hate rules and reigns in their life, Holy Spirit, would you work? Would you heal? I just think of the Israelites, 400 years of shame. They were out of slavery, but the shame of slavery wasn't out of them. In Joshua 5, 9, the Lord says to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. So Lord, do it again. Heal us from the shame. God, set us free. Roll it away. And in the same way that our spiritual enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, God, we thank you that you come to bring life, life abundantly. So we set us free, Holy Spirit. It's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.